Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. Today's broadcast is titled Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Today in the Smart Buildings Industry. We chose the word today because we want this to be a kicking off point for an ongoing conversation and actions we can all take moving forward. I believe this topic is just as important as the technical topics that we usually cover here at Nexus, like indoor air quality, energy management, integration, ontologies. In fact, I think as we'll explore today, the technical and the social topics are inextricably intertwined. You can't pull them apart in reality. So with that, I want to pass it over to um, our moderator today, Mandy Whedon. Mandy is founder and CEO of Feroz Real Estate Advisors, where she advises forward-thinking real estate companies on positioning their real estate teams to succeed during times of disruption. And we're certainly in one of those times today. So thank you, Mandy, for, for hosting us today and take it away. Thank you, James. Thanks for providing the space and the time for this conversation. And I am very happy to be joined by a really great group of people who are gonna share their experience and their learning with us. Our panel is here to teach and to learn. So please share, like James said in the chat and post your questions in the Q&A. So three panelists joining us, Tara Turkanes, she's the Vice President of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion and Talent Management at LEAF Group. Her role is to lead the DEI efforts both internally and externally to create a more equitable workplace. Welcome, Tara. And Louisa Dickens, Lou, from LMRE, she co-founded that organization where her team connects the brightest talent with the most innovative prop tech companies globally. Welcome, Lou. And Mike, Mike Bruman, the CEO of Vanti. He continues to build and lead a diverse team at Vanti who transforms buildings into smart and efficient environments where people want to work, to play, and to learn. Welcome, Mike. Okay, so we'll jump right in and talk about DEI in the smart buildings industry today. So when I talk about DEI, I talk about it from a place of widening our field of vision when we have multiple inputs, multiple viewpoints, multiple lived experiences, we have an opportunity to make better decisions because we see more, our field of vision is opened. And DEI is a shorthand for talking about widening that field of vision. So let's start with our first question, which is share your take on the status quo of DEI and smart buildings industry today. What's your honest take on where we're at? And I'm gonna start with you, Mike, since you're smack in the middle of the industry. Thanks so much. So I definitely think we can do more. It, it, this is an interesting conversation to me because, uh, so in the way Invanti is, is AV and IT. So we've predominantly come out of those industries and then broadened into a kind of wider building services. Uh, and, and these are very familiar conversations that were happening a good few years ago within CompTIA, which is the, the largest IT industry association that's dedicated to the channel. I think there's, there's a multitude of factors within this. I think we don't have enough role models. 
I think we're going to need to try and find those role models within the industry. I think we've got more coming through, which is great, uh, but also there's a, a good amount of work to do at, at kind of grassroots level as, as well, in terms of uh, particularly within the education system and encouraging uh, certainly more women, but uh, also uh, a broader range of ethnic groups to join the industry, because I think particularly building services engineering tends to be very male orientated and certainly very white. So I think, yeah, the, the current status against maybe some other much more diverse industries is, is less good. But I think also there's a, a lot of things that we could take away from good work that's been done in other industries in order to make a real difference to smart building industry and hopefully do it a lot quicker as well. Thanks. Lou, do you want to share your perspective from the recruiting side, talent side? Yeah, for sure. Um, and like to say thank you to you and James for having all of us on this webinar so I guess from a recruitment standpoint I agree with everything sort of Mike just said there's a lot that needs to be done obviously behind the I guess how many I guess women males women and men are in it um, when we look at sort of races sexualities but I guess at LMRE for those who don't know our job is basically to champion this space to people from all sorts of backgrounds whether you're sort of degree educated whether you're from I don't know, just have a diploma, whatever it is, whether you're junior or senior, you could be, you know, just going out of college or slightly, I don't know, trying a new sort of career path. A big thing that needs to be done is basically on the education and make it seen as a lot more of a proper sort of career pathway. Lots of people don't know about the smart building space and you can't tap into a diverse pool of talent until people actually know about it. And so what I'll be sort of talking about later is what needs to be done really at the grassroots levels to do with um, telling people air quality, whether it's, you know, the different routes you can go to and uh, the importance of making a building safe and smart. I saw really, we were doing it, looking over some stats recently at LMRE, and I noticed there was a 10% increase in sort of DI specialists across our sort of clients, particularly in this space, which is quite a lot. And we also saw 30% increases in the past 12 months of our clients uh, looking for sort of blanket uh, shortlist so I guess TVs about any names in it trying to make sure there's no biases um, but despite those sort of improvements being made and sort of like we sort of mentioned earlier with the problems which this space is facing as it sort of grows very quickly founders and owners operators you know big companies there's the old there's supply and demand so often even though they might want to have this, you know, say they want a diverse candidate pool, like I said earlier, it's just not there. And so compromises are made and they will find a short-term solution to find someone to sort of fill the gap. But then in the long term, you still don't have a diverse sort of uh, senior management team or team in general. So throughout this webinar, I guess what I'll sort of be telling the audience is what we can do in terms of education, what we can do in terms of awareness and what we can do in terms of marketing to try and sort of tackle DEI. Excellent. Thank you. And Tara, from your perspective, do you want to share about the status quo of DEI and what um, it's like to be a practitioner and leader in that space? So many things. And what I want to say, first of all, is like diversity, equity, inclusion isn't something that can be an add on. Like it's not like this new part of your, you know, your business focus. It should be integrated into your business. And when you start talking about like how to attract different candidates, like the whole world 
is having a problem when it comes to finding great talent. This is not just specific to this instance. And so companies are now having to really adjust and realign. What are your core values, right? Like, do your core values align with your DEI efforts, your business practices? Like, everything is literally connected. So to treat it separately, you will have a fractured result. And so a lot of companies not able to find the talent will discover that that's one of the reasons why. Retention is huge. You can attract someone, but will they stay there once they get to your organization? And do they feel welcome? Do they feel like they have a voice? Do they feel like they can contribute overall? These are the hurdles because I think a lot of people, especially in homogenous spaces, have not had to think about what it's like for someone else who doesn't look like you to be in an industry. And so your training literally should not be a bias training where it's like one off. Okay, we did this like sexual harassment training or whatever. We're good to go. You're constantly having to reevaluate how you've walked through your life with whatever privilege you have, whatever that might be. And so looking at it from what person didn't have that privilege, how did I get here and how was I able to, you know, achieve the goals that I have? based off of what privileges I have. And so whether that's you belong to a golf club, right? Like, is your golf club inclusive? Do they allow women? Do they allow people of underrepresented backgrounds? Like really, where do you get your talent? And are your eyes open enough to be able to look at people who are second career, right? Like second careers are really huge right now across the board. Are you requiring degrees for your roles? Plenty of people, amazing people have no degrees and they're super successful. I used to work at a startup um, that got acquired by Cisco for cloud uh, data uh, um, management. And one of them literally never graduated from college. He was a Yahoo salesman and he basically created this multi-million dollar business and here we are. So what biases do you have that are preventing the people that you think will make your business much more profitable and creative and innovative and the last part I'll say is those people are then going to connect you to a level of your business that you may not have you know, known before. There's a great IBM study where IBM was one of the, four, you know, the forerunners of DEI, and they basically implemented a DEI program in the 90s that allowed them to connect to underrepresented communities. They increased their business model. The people wanted to buy from salesmen who looked like them or could identify culturally with what their background was. So you can't lose in this situation. It's just gonna be super challenging for you to realize how much you've walked around with preconceived notions that are preventing you from being successful. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about the perception of the value of diversity, because perception is reality, and that impact on the future of our industry, the smart building industry, the commercial real estate industry. And I say this from a place of being in commercial real estate my entire career, sticking it through, and watching the um, evolution and the changes and the forces that come from demographics and other things impacting the ability of real estate to stay relevant and meaningful in people's lives. So how do we connect the value of diversity, the future of our industry and continue um, to do great things? So I'm gonna start with you, Lou, on this one to get your take. I thought this we were going to be talking more specifically about sort of the smart uh, building space. And I think the perception, we don't quite know sort of what it is. I think everyone knows that everyone's trying to learn from other industries of the sort of importance at every single level or sacred level within the business 
to ensure it's sort of implemented throughout the company, whether it's sort of the employee level, the management level, the to the company, it can reek sort of benefits of whether it's sort of employees engagement, employee satisfaction. I read like a McKinsey report the other day and it said companies that exhibit gender and ethnic diversity are 15 to 35% more likely to outperform sort of less diverse peers. And also you just, and the same study found that organizations more racial and gender diversity bring more sales revenue, more customers and a higher profits. So for me, that's like a no-brainer saying, look, there's proof from sort of other industries that where the real estate world can sort of learn from. And I mentioned earlier about this sort of increase in DEI specialists being hired by these corporates, whether it's, say, Cushman and Wakefield. They obviously have Adam Stanley, who's there at CIO, who's doing brilliant things and implementing so many awesome strategies and innovation managers. But even though these DEI specialists are sort of trying to change the perception of the wider business, you need more than a couple of people in that team for the larger companies. You need to have like sort of diversity, sort of and inclusion champions also at sort of the more sort of junior level. So I think perception will change over time. I think some big hires are being made at the moment, but also lots of these companies don't haven't yet put the budget. Well, they are putting the budget in place, but haven't budgeted yet to ensure this change of perception actually happens. So I think it's difficult to say. I think it will change over the next sort of three to five years. But we have a long way to go, but moves are being made. That's just sort of a very sort of basic thing, which I've seen from a um, hiring standpoint. And Tara, how has this worked and um, where have you seen it in other industries? And what do you have any examples that you would be willing to share? I mean, I think what's amazing is that, the, you know, not compartmentalizing or segmenting industries at this point, we're all going through the same pain points. Everyone wants to figure out how best to get the best talent to make their business impactful. So across the board, literally you have like, rest assured, you are not the only ones in this industry or having this pain point. But what you really also kind of need to focus on is like, People want to do the right thing, but they're paralyzed with what that right thing is. Like, how does that right thing exist? And one of the things I think is, you know, you have to do something simultaneously. If you're going to recruit for underrepresented talent, which means going out there and meeting them where they are, right? Lou spoke to this a little bit about education, about like reaching out to, you know, alumni groups or are there, you know, going to college fairs, mentoring, doing mock interviews, sponsoring, you know, scholarships. My husband is in the building industry and, you know, he is involved in IFMA's, you know, they have a mentorship program for young people entering the facilities management space. So like, do you have people there who are willing to reach back? And are you not just waiting for that talent to come to you because you will be waiting a long time? One of the other things I'll say is training is so very important. Put some money into your resources to be able to train your people so that you are building an inclusive environment. And it's not just the people at the top. It's also your frontline managers because they're the ones who do day-to-day -day interaction with your people. I saw some study that said like 61% of people were happy when you know they had their leaders doing DEI training. 81% were much more happy because their leaders and their direct managers were making some kind of effect to them as well. Those people who deal with the day-to-day -day are the ones that you really kind of have to empower and be able to operate on your behalf so that you're keeping those people and they feel like they're contributing overall to the goals and the values that you have for your organization. So this is happening across the board. Like people are literally trying to figure out what their roadmap is going to be. But I would say 
plan for longevity. I say DEI is a journey and not a destination. We're always going to be doing this. You're just plan get comfortable and being continuous in your practices. Like this is not going to be like, okay, we got our degree check done. Okay. We're all, we're all inclusive now. Yay. You have hundreds of years of systemic racism and other biases that you're overcoming. It's not going to happen in, in like two years. It just won't. Yeah. I love it. It is a journey. So Mike, you want to share about some of the DEI as a mindset and a practice that you see in your team and in the industry? I can, I can certainly try. So I think from the, from the industry perspective, I think we need to bear in mind that all people use buildings, right? So we need to make sure that in terms of, from a smart building perspective, the technology that's going into those buildings helps everyone. So, and, and that can be across the board from kind of physical disability. We actually had an example in a member of our team who was colorblind and one of our designers put an interface together and actually they found it really difficult to, to look at the contrast on it. Really minor examples, but in terms of how it plays out in the building, its accessibility and all of those other bits and pieces, this is where it really kind of contributes to that end result in that as soon as you have internal lenses who understand the potential problems, whether that's from a systemic perspective or from a disability perspective, actually you can start working that into the delivery and making that difference uh, kind of out in the field. In terms of kind of how it shows up for us and, and what we've been doing about it, I think we, we made a really conscious effort about probably six or seven years ago now where we, I read the, the Jim Collins book, Good to Great, talks a lot about kind of defining values within your company and a really amazing experience from a, a couple of different perspectives. I think we'd got to a point where we'd grown to about 20 people. We were starting to kind of having to implement things like policy and procedure, making sure that, uh, you know, people understood those and that kind of thing. We found ourselves really uh, kind of starting to cater for this lowest common denominator of, of people that hadn't been through any values assessment. Uh, so we defined our five values. We have mastery, which is kind of being, being as good as you can be, integrity, making sure that we're being real with people. We're always kind of speaking the truth and uh, have everyone's interests at heart. Discovery, uh, no stupid questions. Uh, we want people to turn up, be curious. And in this industry, it's absolutely essential that people can learn quickly and, and kind of apply that knowledge. We then have care, and that's looking after people internally, but also looking after our clients and fun because, well, next to sleeping works pretty much the longest thing that you're going to do. And we want people to have a, as good a time as possible. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean it's a permanent party at Vanity, but we do want people to have a good time whilst they're here. And I think in starting to do that values assessment work and really starting to work on our culture, it really um, set the foundation and started unlocking a number of things that we could do in terms of our recruitment process, because uh, as people have already uh, kind of mentioned and talked about, you know, we, we knew that there would be great people out in the world that didn't hold a, a degree. And actually, so we started shifting some of our questions through our process to be things like, do you have a home lab? Do you play with technology in your own time? Because actually, we knew if people were doing that, that actually they would be kind of you know, vivacious learners and they would want to apply themselves and they probably could skill up quickly because they were used to kind of uh, tinkering around and things. Uh, and I think it, it's really, uh, uh, Tara, I echo your point entirely that this isn't a destination. I think I'm really conscious that we still have loads of things that we could be doing. And, and also there are, you know, constraints in terms of time and money, sadly, in terms of how much we can do with it. But also uh, really have experienced the only word I, I can 
kind of bring to mind right now is a, a real kind of blossoming in this, in the early on when we had our CRO join shortly after we'd done that values assessment, we had some kind of really furious arguments around positive discrimination, how we should and shouldn't handle things through the hiring process, that actually it wasn't necessarily about bringing people in with skill, that actually, again, to Tara's point, in terms of bringing people in who demonstrated really great values and could get on board with that, that learning attitude, that actually it was then incumbent on us to be able to skill those people up and um, support them on their journey. Uh, and then I think a lot later, as we finally got to the point now of, in terms of our kind of recruitment pipeline and implementing the new tool that, that we've used, we can start putting metrics now on, on making sure that we are quite balanced. So we are just shy of the point of 50-50 in terms of men and women into our recruitment pipeline, which is like completely different to where we were kind of four or five years ago, where it was almost broadly 100% male. We know that within that, we still have a lot of work to do on bringing women into technical roles. And that is something where, again, we're looking at the kind of values assessment first and then actually putting the time and effort into people who want to kind of grow with us. And then I think the Black Lives Matter movement really kind of triggered things in, inside of Vanity and, and actually led us to have, have conversations with black colleagues that we, we have today, but also are setting up a tackling racism group who meet every two weeks to look at how do we create uh, kind of safe and equitable spaces for people to be in? And again, in terms of looking at that privilege that people may not understand in terms of that they are kind of born into and defaulted into and have, have no reason to kind of consider and think about this stuff. Um, really kind of helping people to understand those unconscious biases and also now moving towards uh, kind of generalised unconscious bias training for, for all members of the team. So um, not perfect, but certainly have some really great examples of people where very different lenses on the world has led to the best outcome in terms of Vanti as an organisation, but also then the best outcome for our, for our clients. Thank you. So let's talk about the, the talent war, the process of hiring and building diverse teams. Lou, you already referenced that it's a supply and demand challenge, right? I see it as mm. also a, a chicken and egg challenge, right? If you don't have a team that appeals to diverse candidates, you're gonna have a really hard time hiring diverse candidates or even having access to talk to them. So I'd love, I'll start with you, Lou, uh, share a little bit about what you're specifically seeing challenges lessons yeah. learned and obstacles yeah for sure where do I begin this is the juicy stuff like I guess like everyone on the panels said today hiring diverse teams in every sort of industry is sort of it's really difficult and it takes a hell of a long time but I think especially for like the smart buildings industry which is obviously a STEM industry and um, that makes it even more challenging and it's probably one of the fastest growing sort of fields plenty of, sort of opportunities but still it's like probably one of the most undiverse ones. So I guess women, black people and Hispanic people are super underrepresented. So you need to sort of work out what do, where is this sort of lack of supply coming from? So like I mentioned earlier, women are often in school outperform men, but never think to sort of take it uh, on. And just in general, lots of children don't know of the sort of career pathway. So well, first of all, we go back to start talking about important smart buildings, what of indoor air quality, CO2 footprint, more talked about it from a younger age not university because that's when all the students start looking at consultancy finance whatever it is 
then if you look at, um, say, it's a Black and Hispanic research, they are often ones who have not as many go to the universities. But in the smart building space, there's this perceived barrier that you have to, to enter the STEM workforce. You need to have an engineering degree or computer science degree. That's so not true. There's the control technicians roles, there's information managers, there's service technicians, integrators. Jessica has like engineering or technician in the job title does not mean you have to go to like university and so I think we need to do basically a lot more into telling people whether it's sort of junior people to more people who are say at 30 or 35 you're looking for a new sort of career change about what's out there in the world and it doesn't matter where you sort of come from so many of these jobs and uh, if any of the audience listening in who runs one of these companies so much of it's on the job training and you just have to have, you know, a uh, passion for it. You have to be able to be smart, be able to pick up sort of new skills, but there's so much stuff out there. And then in terms of, um, let's say the marketing side, I saw an advert by the Wellbeing Institute and it had like loads of celebrities like Jennifer Lopez, Lady Gaga talking about the importance of making wellbeing smart and like getting, you know, everyone's talking about getting back to work and it talks about the importance of where it's their office, uh, a studio, a residential building, a cinema, and about why people want to get back to that. But if you have like all these, say, celebrities talking about it and the importance of our buildings, other people, whether it's say students, kids, whatever it is, will say, oh my God, I just so and so talk about it. Maybe that is important. Maybe that is an exciting route to sort of go down. Then when you mentioned earlier about making a company attractive for people to go to. So that's important about getting the DEI right, the first thing, because and um, more research, which we've done from LMRE, we've asked so many of our um, female candidates, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was something like 90% said if there was like a senior management team that was diverse and had like equal male and female heads, different races, I think 90% said, yeah, they'd make it, they'd find it a lot more attractive. And I think it's a lot more for women candidates come to this market, which is obviously the hardest sort of people to recruit into this market. So that is just so important to get it right. And I think you, it's, I don't think having you know, two heads of business here now is, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But if you're talking about the long-term about attracting and different sort of mindsets, you know, helping everyone to innovate and sort of grow together, it is very important. I do think outside of it and how can you like spread the word and outside of, you know, really cool marketing video messages, like I said, to do with um, the well-being one, the stuff which, you know, James does a fabulous job um, at Nexus about sort of spreading the word. There's the Smart Buildings Academy. It's just about getting everyone talking about how it is accessible and how it is inclusive and everything like that. And then it's, yeah, I guess rather than everyone sort of pushing it off to the heads of diversity or the senior management, and um, we all mentioned earlier, like everyone's got a part to play in this, whether it's like me as a recruiter, whether it's, as a, you know, you're as a sort of consultant and it's talking about it openly. But I think those are a few places which we can start but it's just so important for any business to get it right early even if they don't think it's high on the agenda because they can't see the, the quick returns from it like it's a long-term play which will generate your business a lot you know and the people a lot more sort of happiness and obviously the, the business owner will want to make profit the longer but they've got to think of the whole picture and all the people that come into it but that's a little bit about why I don't know if you have any other questions you'd like me to go into that's good Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. 
If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. I want to turn to Mike and talk about lessons learned from this, what you're willing to share, and how you are translating that lessons learned into iterating and advancing the mission. Yeah. So I think you made some really great points there. I think it's important to recognize that from a kind of age 13 is really the last place that you're going to start reaching young people as they start to kind of move out into into other other fields. So from a STEM perspective and and making that exciting, that's important. I think we'd definitely kind of build on Lou's comments there. Like, you know, smart buildings, they don't have to be huge assets, but they often are larger buildings at the moment. There are some really, you know, exciting demonstrable results and also really practical things that as kind of technologists, we can take along and have people kind of get really tactile and, and hands-on with, right? I think we're not in a ethereal industry of, you know, creating virtual tokens or assets or other things that might be very difficult to comprehend. Like these are big things that people see every day. They live in one, they go to work in one, they go to school in one. It's about kind of bringing it to life and really making it relevant. I think in terms of lessons learned, the focus on the value set, a passion for what we do, um, skills can come later. In training for skill, you definitely can't train for kind of passion and values. They are relatively intrinsic, although can change over the longer term. And I think it is about getting into the community. It's about doing things at, at grassroots level. My hope is that there isn't anyone from CompTIA on this call, but from one of the things that I got frustrated with being on the exec council in CompTIA was that there was a real view for kind of global initiatives and global change. And my point was almost always like, let's do it at grassroots. Let's make sure it works and then let's scale it up into something else. And I think it works the same, you know, for all kind of uh, founders, business owners and and whatever else, senior leaders on, on this call. It is about doing those small things first and, as you say, kind of iterating and building over time. It's the only way that it works. I think things that we've done that have worked very well, hosting work experience folks, uh, doing outreach into schools, so going and giving talks, bringing it to life, make it applicable to subject areas, like, you know, why bother doing maths? Well, actually, here's how it applies in, in this world and all that kind of stuff. And one of the best things that we ever did was and something that we absolutely need to restart now we're kind of post-pandemic and, and we've got restrictions lifted, is we ran an initiative with a local business called Rebel Makers, which was all about bringing people into the office uh, once a month. We would uh, open the doors, we would clear out the, the office space upstairs where we uh, have all our hot desks, and we would have a load of Raspberry Pis, sensors, kind of electronic kits and that kind of stuff. And we would just encourage people to come in and join us. And actually, whilst it wasn't the the initial ambition, we have one of our most skilled electrical engineers came through that route. And we also have a software developer who joined us yesterday, who was actually an A-level student, so a kind of college kind of age, who did go off to university, came back and worked here every summer whilst he was at university, and then has joined us now as a full-time employee. So I think would entirely echo the, you know, this isn't about getting a badge and then expecting immediate results tomorrow. It's a really long-term play, but actually if you 
uh, you know, part of a, a kind of human mindset, you do recognize the privilege that you have, actually the effort in terms of, you know, giving up a Saturday morning once a month, like is entirely required if we're going to see the change that should happen within this industry. Excellent. I want to come to one of your Rebel Makers session and play with the, the tech, <laughs> the toys, put the tech. You're very welcome anytime. Awesome. Okay. So Tara, I'd love to hear from you about what you do, what your team does at Leaf Group. I really appreciate your context of we're not in this alone. Everyone is experiencing this, but I'd love to learn from you about what you're doing, where you've seen progress and where you've iterated and learned. Yeah. So for those not familiar, Leaf Group um, is the parent company to lifestyle categories. So we own media as well as e-commerce brands like Live Strong, Well and Good, which is super popular and Saatchi and Society6. So really in the digital media space. And my role, um, I've always been in talent for over 15 years. My DEI role came to after the murder of George Floyd and our company really being in a place like many others where we're just like, where are we in this place and how did we get here? A lot of people have no ideas. For some people, it felt like a very sharp turn around a corner. And for some of us, we'd be like, hello, we've been trying to tell you for a little bit. And we have that mix of people within our organization. And so really solid, I stepped in to start doing things like putting together terminologies in terms of like LGBTQ plus or underrepresented talent, why it's, you know, you know, not wonderful to hear someone say, I really don't see color. Like there's all these different things about like, what our intentions are versus like what we actually land. And my percent, my, my approach to the role was we don't all share the same education. We don't all come from the same area background. What was taught to me as a, you know, black girl in Detroit, Michigan is not going to be the same as what Lou and might get. And that's fine. But how are we going to be now in this workplace together to fill in the gaps of what I learned, what you learned, what's true, what's not true, what helps us communicate better, what helps us build businesses better? How can we just fill in those gaps and be more inclusive to one another? Some of the things that we did, we devoted a whole intranet uh, page to our DEI efforts. So we have terminologies, we have, you know, articles for managers, we did some panels, we did a talk back for the 13th documentary, which is really powerful for people for Black History Month. We've had model minority panels. We had Dr. Jelani Cobb, who's on a you know, popular MSNBC, as well as a professor, do a chat with our CEO about how do we get here? Jelani is an incredible historian, as well as a journalist. So context was super helpful for a lot of people. But the more conversations we were having, the more people started to feel like, oh, I can contribute to this. Now, in terms of data, what we also rolled out was a, um, a continuous micro learning platform that everyone is uh, expected to participate in. It's all about diversity, equity, inclusion, bias. You learn a lot. There are paths that get released every Tuesday and they're micro. So it's like eight minutes. If you don't have eight minutes in your week, we have to have another conversation, right? And so for us, from the HR perspective on the back end, we're also able to then measure sentiment by manager. So are we saying like, these managers actually, their teams don't necessarily feel like they feel super inclusive, or this manager is actually knocking it out of the park in terms of making their teams feel inclusive. That way we can structure what training we need for who, right? So it allows us to be very strategic in what we're trying 
to do. And then lastly, I'll say getting your people involved. Our ERGs have increased. Our employee resource groups have increased. We've had two start this year. I also implemented a DEI council that has reps from each of our brands or departments talk about what's happening within their department or their brand. How can I support from a corporate level? What kinds of things can we do? Right now, my DEI council, so proud of them, came up with ideating a mentorship program. You don't all have to like, and senior leaders and executives don't have to come up with absolutely everything. You can do totally crowdsource some of your questions. It is totally okay to say to your team, I have no idea how we're going to do this, but help me figure it out. And lastly, I will say the most important thing is figure out your why. Why are you doing this? Because you know what? Your why is going to be your th theme throughout what you're doing. And if it's a little shaky, so are your resources and so are your, your results. But if it's really strong, if you really say, I really am committed to changing this industry, changing my business, I want this to be something that, you know, will be attractive to other people. Get your corp comms team involved, hit social media, tell people what it's like to work in your, your environment. You know, Mike has a great idea, but also, the kids are on TikTok, Snapchat, like Twitter, hashtags, learn all of these things. Don't sit back and be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I can't, you know, I remember phone books. I can't do this. You have to figure out or hire somebody to do it so they can tell your story. Your employer brand is so very important. You're probably doing a lot of great things. Sit down and figure out what those things are, capitalize on them, and then figure out what other great things you can do. Awesome. Okay, so let's move to the action phase. Let's talk about takeaways, next steps, and action items that we can share with the listeners of the live session here and the future listeners of the recording. So Mike, talk to me about what action items and takeaways that maybe you took from this and what you would share with the listeners. Uh, sure. So I think in, in terms of takeaways, I, I definitely think uh, we've got a bit more to do about making it really exciting. Uh, I think that's really cool. And I think actually, Clara, thanks for the tip on IBM because I'm going to go and uh, have a read up on that uh, a bit later as well. Uh, and also, actually, I think one thing that we have focused on a lot is the attraction phase. Uh, and actually, I think we do need to switch now to much more of a uh, retention and, and checking in and making sure that sentiment is good. We have just done uh, a survey to look at people's uh, protected characteristics and what that looks like across the business. But yeah, I think we definitely need to shift into checking that sentiment and making sure that things are well-structured. In terms of advice to the audience, I think it's really just, well, a listen to, to Tara in terms of why. And I think if you're sat there kind of, I'm okay with the status quo, I don't have to do anything, well, then this probably isn't for you. But I do think it is going to get to uh, a point, this does make... There, there will be a tipping point where the demonstrable results across lots of organizations will really start to come to the fore. So I wouldn't advocate for doing this out of fear of being left behind because I don't think it would be genuine or authentic. But I think if you do believe and have been listening to any recent events, that there is a lot of injustice in the world, that there is a lot of inequality, equity and justice gaps to close all over the place, that really the next step is do something. And even if that is to uh, just start engaging in the community. Understand what your community looks like. We're still very cognizant that actually in Birmingham, where we're, we're kind of shifting to actually white people being in, a, in more of a minority, that as a company, we do not represent the community which surrounds us every day. Right? 
and that's something that we need to get addressed. And then I think take a look at hiring, right? Because that is the place to start. When new people are coming into the organization, look at the funnel, make sure you do positively promote it to underrepresented groups, make sure that you are bringing people into that process that may not have been in it before. And also, I think, not that it directly relates, but I, I think it, it does really help. Even if you go through that values definition process, read the book from Jim, there's a one pager out on the internet, talk about your Mars team, who you put in a rocket as five people, send them off to another planet and reestablish your, your company culture, because actually that has made a, a really great difference here. And I think it does give us that constant reference, even just in little ways, we have them as each of our values as emojis in, in our real-time chat tool called Slack. So we can rec recognize people instantly when they're demonstrating those values and really kind of reinforce them on, on the day-to-day. -day. My overriding message is don't sit on your hands. Don't think everyone else is going to do it. Certainly don't think other people are going to go and do it for you. Uh, get out and do something. Awesome. Tara, you already shared a lot of great ideas and I love your energy around this. Um, Mike, I see you noticed it too about make it fun, it's energetic. So what would you share as action items, lessons learned? Everybody's on their own journey. Some people are at the starting line. Some people are further along. What would you share? I will say a couple of things. One, be proactive, right? Because right now we're, we are talking about like underrepresented talent as it relates to gender and race, but it also includes so many other things. There are 34 categories of diversity. And so that could mean like disability, that could mean, you know, mental and physical. Like there are all these different things that you can be proactive about. If you're saying you have an inclusive environment, you mean you welcome all of those people. So for your hiring practices, are you, do you have like ADH or can you help people who may not be able to hear effectively, you know, what kinds of questions are you asking? And, you know, are there biases in those kinds of questions? Really get somebody to deep dive into your systems. If you don't know that, you can hire people to do that for you. And it's a really low lift to make sure that you are being welcoming. I will also say, you know, don't do like, just like Mike said, don't, don't, like do anything. Don't let your fear paralyze you. Be able to be open and vulnerable. People love vulnerable leadership. I will say, you know, is this is an industry because, you know, by marriage, I know some of it and like facilities management. My husband as a black man has terrible stories about showing up at job interviews because he has a name that doesn't necessarily sound black, whatever that means. And then he shows up and they're like, oh, wait, that's not who I thought this was. And so the job doesn't go well. Like, Eliminate the people on your team who are going to be perpetuating those kinds of attitudes and really clean house and make sure that you have people who are really on the right track for you. Don't also ask your underrepresented talent to educate you. That's not helpful. Like really can be committed to finding resources. There are so many courses out there. There are so many people who will come into your organization, talk to you about it. Pay those people to tell you and educate yourself. Don't rely on your team to do the lift for you, you know, and, and make it so that they're responsible for your own education. We are all trying to make an impact together. I, one of the things I like to say is an Octavia Butler quote, like everything that you touch impacts, you know, the world, like you change everything you touch. And so really being mindful of that. It's a huge responsibility to be a great human being in this world. And so I feel like we can all do it. We just need to make sure we're being a lot more mindful. Thank you. Okay. Lou, where have you seen companies take action? What would you share with people for takeaways? And I'm going to follow this up 
heads up to the panelists. I'm gonna ask you these questions again and take it from the mind point of one of the team members who's not a manager. Yes, they can be a leader from any seat, but they don't have a, a leadership title. And what advice would you give them? Okay, well, I'll sort of start with sort of a few takeaways and building on Mike and Tara's points. Well, actually in terms of my clients, as you know, Tara mentioned about sort of being proactive and also meant about sort of almost outsourcing and finding, paying people to help me sort of tackle this um, problem, the challenge of DEI. I mean, companies, my clients have been successful in scaling and building these teams and they have budgeted for it and they have properly invested in senior management saying, right, this is what we're going to do. This is the budget for the year and this is what our like metrics or targets that we want to achieve throughout the business. So I think it's very important for stakeholders, people in the industry to start doing this and budgeting for it earlier than they have been. And as we've all alluded to, it takes bloody forever. So it's investing earlier. It's having all senior management sending the message to the wider business. So things change actually starts to happen. It's going back to the age or the diversity problem. It's getting people in it at the grassroots level, which Mike spoke about earlier, is talking about it being a proper career pathway, all the huge earning potential, but also getting rid of these perceived barriers of you have to be degree educated, which we all spoke about earlier. There's so many different sort of pathways and opportunities. But then also, I think after we've, you know, done all that, we've done the investment, we've hired the, you know, these DEI sort of specialists, you know, culture's going well, people think included. You know, the next real challenge which businesses need to get right and, I'm speaking on behalf of some of the corporates that I work with, they need to actually make sure consistent training is happening because it's so difficult when you have so many different moving parts of business. Um, we, we all spoke about that, to make sure they're all communicating and all integrating each other because that's how innovation is going to happen. That's how businesses are going to sort of grow and maintain um, their current sort of talent pool. So obviously it's about getting more people in, but it's looking after everyone and making sure they're all communicating. So that's like where I've seen most success stories. But that also comes from another big budget about training and investing into your current team. So a lot of this sounds like it's revolving around education and like investment and culture. And yeah, it's down to basically everyone in this industry to be sort of championing it as well and openly speaking about it. Mike mentioned earlier after sort of Black Lives Matter movement, that's when they sort of probably started addressing it. But it's consistently addressing it. It's not just one movement that's just happened. We should all continually sort of um, speak about DI and what we can sort of do and then actioning it. Any specifics you would share with maybe the two years in to the industry first job person who has passion or ideas around this and wants to figure out how they can make an impact? Actually, I spoke to Adam Stanley, and this is on a podcast with him, on literally this topic. And Stanley is like, because Wakefield, I'm sure lots of people know about him. And I was, I do struggle in some of my roles in hiring for diverse teams. My clients ask for shortlist, and that's what we do, do our best to. But I was speaking about that. I'm, I'm struggling to get a diverse pool for this role. What can I do? And he was like, what's cool? It's, it's you need to tap into obviously different talent pools, and you have the problem of you know the one degree of separation. You know, if you're not part of a different demographic or something, it's really hard to actually engage with them. But we spoke about working with sort of different sort of associations and not just leaning on one person in your business. It's about everyone trying to tap into different communities, different sort of people. So yeah, I think it's just talking to everyone, being a lot more sort of open-minded. I actually did a post yesterday on LinkedIn to get people's personal experiences of this. 
and lots of people asked me not to actually mention their names so unfortunately I can't give a sort of exact case study which I was kind of hoping I could do for you guys so sorry. Well at least people are sharing even if it's sharing uh, one-offs and privately yeah. still sharing. Okay Tara how about you how do you talk to one of your newer team members or younger team members or someone who doesn't feel like they yet have a way to make an impact? Well, I will say that everybody has a way to make an impact. And like, I will say this current workforce, if you're starting to dive into it, super motivated, really want to know what you're doing as a company so that they can then sort of figure out where they can contribute. I talk to tons of people who reach out to me all the time. And it's oddly enough in the facility space where people are like, you know, they're new to this space. They want to make a change. Some of the things I've heard, they've started book clubs within their organization. Can we talk about some of the books that are popular, how to be anti-racist? Like there are so many great books that you can have conversations about. There are people who are starting employee resource groups. I believe those employee led. So encouraging people to participate in those. I talked to every new hire that we have about DEI and engagement four weeks in. So having somebody that reaches out to them from the executive level or managerial level to see what their interests are and how can you best help them? Can you be a mentor, a sponsor? You don't have to have the answers for them, but if they say like, hey, look, it would be really great if we started this program, be the person that can help them facilitate that you know, removing barriers and challenges, allowing them to know that their ideas will contribute overall. So, you know, you don't have to design what that looks like. You just have to give people the space to be able to create that impact. So eliminating all of your levels of like, no's, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people come into an organization and you hear no, 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 that's going to be demotivating. And I'm going to tell you in this industry where people are literally really having inward conversations about do I need to be in this organization? Is it right for me? We Career hoppers are no longer a negative thing right now because a lot of candidates, a lot of employees are saying, after this pandemic, after everything that's happened, social justice, everything, my, my, my why has to make sense. And I want to be in an environment that allows me to do that. So be that company or be that environment that allows them to say like, I can make an impact here. Excellent. Okay. So from the engineer's perspective, take yourself back to the Wayback machine when you were a project leader and you didn't manage anyone and you want to figure out how to make an impact. What would you say, Mike? Uh, so I think first and foremost, it's about understanding yourself. I think there's a lot to be said from things coming from within. So uh, I think, you know, understand who you are, understand what privilege you hold, understand and explore, you know, do you know everything about yourself? Uh, and that, that also takes time, right? That's not an immediate thing. I think from a very uh, kind of personal perspective, I would encourage people to get into as much of this and consume as much content as possible, particularly on offer from your company. For me personally, we had a couple of people here who are neurodivergent. We arranged some autism training for the entire business. I sat in that training in front of a set of slides and went, I do that. Oh yeah, and that happens to me. Oh yeah, and, and that happens too. And that actually led to my later diagnosis of Asperger's which has been fascinating for me in terms of understanding a lot of key things that have happened through my life and why they've happened in particular ways and how they felt at the time. But I do also uh, feel as though that's really empowered me to be a better ally for people who are not neurotypical in our business and also understand to, as far as an extent I can, 
in terms of what that means to not be kind of in the, the typical and normal club for other people who may be people of colour or, or different genders. Uh, and then I think it is about kind of being curious, asking questions, asking why things are done in particular ways, you know, and how that might be inclusive or exclusive to uh, particular demographics. Uh, and I think the very least that people can do, however junior they are, is contribute to making spaces safe uh, and be an ally to others uh, in, in the organisation. I think that's uh, super important and is something that anyone can get on board with tomorrow or even today, being as it's the morning for some people. There you go. <laughs> okay, excellent. Excellent. Well, we save time purposefully for question and answer sessions. So if people in the audience have questions that they want these experts to share guidance on, please put them in the Q&A session. We have one that I'll start off with. And Lou, it ties back to one of your earlier comments about the challenge of getting women to participate in the industry and what we know are known barriers and how we're overcoming that. Can we talk specifically about the construction technology, the IoT building automation, and where you're seeing women join the ranks of those teams, how it's been successful? We don't need a secret um, sauce because there is no secret sauce, but yeah. <laughs> I think where there's been positives and negatives of it, obviously the, say the contact IoT industry is very male dominated, where I've seen success stories is when uh, women have seen the huge potential sort of grow because there's actually not been enough women in the business that are like, right, this is my opportunity to sort of share, sort of implement sort of new strategies, really to have like a lot more sort of autonomy and changing the sort of culture and promoting and more of a diverse workforce. And they've seen that opportunity, but they're obviously quite strong-willed women who then gone into it. I've had a lot of candidates not take jobs despite really liking the product or being excited about the space because of the, it's the pure sort of male structure there is there. So then that goes down to, if I can give any bits of advice if you're trying to attract women, is either giving them, and I think Tara, you spoke about this earlier, it's giving them like a reason, like why would you want to join our business? You know, the exciting part of it and making it a lot more sort of appealing, giving people like ownership, say you'll own this, you'll do that. But otherwise, if you don't have that sort of reason to sort of entice them as great as your product could be or what you're trying to create, it will never be sort of that exciting. So you've got to really sort of give something else to sell other than just sort of the job because a lot of millennials and younger um younger candidates are not just looking for will not just join the job for the sort of the nine to six sort of roles they want to do something else they, they want to put the culture they want the ex you know these other sort of responsibilities which are now available within a career thanks okay mike or tara do you have anything you want to share any experiences or anecdotes or advice I mean, I'll say also, like when you consider the underrepresented talent group that you're talking about, you have to consider like all of the things that they deal with. And we're talking about caregiving status. We're talking about like other kinds of opportunities. Is your company set up to support that, right? Like women disproportionately were affected by the pandemic when we talk about economics. If you look at any of the McKenzie studies, especially the women, women in workplace 2020 study, which, you know, was devastating for a lot of people. They were literally saying women, there's some women who are not coming back, right? 
how can you make it appealing for them to do that? And Black women were extraordinarily impacted by the, you know, the pandemic where their job, the jobs that they were doing completely eliminated. A lot of those were labor jobs, blue collar jobs. If you're trying to find some of those people to meet those kinds of jobs, what kind of upskilling can you do? Um, someone asked, I think in the question, look at your job description, what's needs versus wants, right? Like, are you looking for the unicorn or are you looking for somebody who has potential? You can grow when they grow within your organization you create loyalty you can you create this level of you know support and in a way that allows them to feel like there is growth i think the monster recruiting report just came out and they were saying 22% of the people who are leaving the or the workplace today it's because they felt like there was no growth like there was an extraordinary percentage where they said there are some people who are literally looking for jobs all the time so, you know, once you hire these, the people, you have to figure out how to keep them and make them feel like secure that they're going to be in an organization that supports them, allows them to have opportunities for growth. So creating those uh, environments, I think, is going to be super important. I'll just build on that. I guess I'd say I think the, the other thing that's brought to mind whilst both um, Lynn and Tara talking there is think about in terms of, again, going back to that steps that we can take. Think about the kind of promote from within as well, right? It might be that we have people joining us in particular roles that actually once they're within the organization, demonstrate and show interest and capability in other areas. So it's not just necessarily about as people cross the threshold, it's then about how can we develop people internally. I think to Tara's point on creating that environment, that's the essential part, right? Because if you've got people that want to stay within the organization, they can see progression, they can see that people can move around, actually that sends more positive messages out. And I'm sure uh, Rhea uh, won't mind me mentioning her on, on uh, this panel, but uh, I think she's probably our best example as someone who actually started working with us as a contractor doing marketing. She then moved in-house doing marketing we then advertised a team integrator role for our service team who look after all of our managed service clients. And she was like, guys, I really think I can do that. Like, I've not got the technical capability, but everything else you're talking about in the job spec, I can totally knock, like, knock this out of the park. And she did. And then just recently, we've moved her again into a role that is now entire business transformation. And her knowledge, capability, and skill that she's built through that makes her absolutely indispensable at Banty because actually she understands so many parts of the business. And whilst, yeah, she doesn't have a, a technical degree in terms of the impact and the difference that she makes within the organization, it's absolutely huge. And she is also that role model now for others. And we hold her up as an example all the time as what is possible within the organization. You don't have to come through technical routes. You can still have a huge impact and, and be doing a role that is largely technical. Thanks for sharing that story. So I have another question from the audience, and this is about some people see that the industry is for the most part sitting back and watching still, hasn't taken much action. But what we're talking about here is companies that have and the next steps. So how does the mindset shift from being passive to active happen? I'll say leadership starts, you have to have a CEO, a leader who's like, okay, this is our new world. And then it, and it filters in from there. I'm not saying that CEO has to figure out what that actual structure looks like, but you have to be committed because at the end of the day, any changes that you make as an organization are under that particular leader. So if you have a leader who is probably not willing or a little passive, 
either if there's no one there who can get them there, then you know, it's going to stall. Like you have to be able to have that. I think your second step is putting together a plan. What's your statement? Where would you like to go? Being very real about your demographics. Don't try to do a marketing statement that says, yay, we're almost like we're half women. Like what are your real stats? Like really put down, you know, and put them on your site. So many companies are doing that right now. If you look at Apple or Buzzfeed and all these other companies, they're just like, you know, they might have a little marketing spin to it, but their data is really, it is what it is. Right. And we hope to be able to be in an environment that will be more inclusive. We know we have a long way to go. However, here's where we are now. Come with us on this journey as we make this change. And then, you know, put, you know, when you have your, your why put in structure to figure out how do you get to your goals, like put councils together, be able to like hold people accountable, maybe make sure you have checks and balances, have somebody who's looking at all parts of your business and making sure that your efforts are integrated. Like what, you know, no stone should be unturned because you're now looking at a new world where a lot of companies are doing that. Yeah, I like to um, I like to build on that. You can use um, say Cushman and Wakefield as like a, a case study example. So Adam Stanley, he he now has put so they have senior management on board with tackling sort of DEI. They've also then so that's senior management, and now they sort of implemented and got diversity champions throughout sort of the junior levels of the business and throughout all the teams. And they've also um, they do like uh, I think it's like certain not certain events. They've got awards for it as well. So if you're doing something which is like enhancing that the same way they do it for innovation as well so it's sort of getting everyone to sort of work together with the same initiative and sort of motive which is great and that is a massive bloody business to to create to get everyone sort of thinking the same way so yeah I completely agree with what Tara said it's senior management but then it's like getting the wider business okay other question that came in was about we've been talking a lot about internal leaders and some about external but what's the, what's the external, how do you communicate this as a benefit? What are the results for your clients, for your customers? When you, when you say that, do you mean the results for, say, if your business like selling a product or like, would, is that what you could mean or? Well, one of my question, so Lindsay's asking specifically about communicating benefits of a product to clients and we can talk about that. And then I'm also thinking through how do you communicate how, because your company is bringing more diverse people to the table and building a better product, how do you take that and deliver that as here's why you should hire us because this is what we do. Yeah. Um, well, I've, um, I was like reading a report, the same one sort of I mentioned earlier by McKinsey. If you have like a diversity sales team, you're a lot more sort of understanding when you're sort of selling product to all sorts of different clients out there and your sales and profits just go up so if your client's looking at it from a profit lens you yeah you do just want obviously you want you want to be working with a happy team but the client at the end of the day often just wants uh, to see sort of what value they're getting out of whoever they're sort of working with so there's so so um, much data out there that proves a more diverse inclusive workforce just generally breeds value anybody else have thoughts on external marketing or communications yeah, I think maybe, uh, I'm not sure if I'm maybe taking this too literally or not, but I think the the direct translation into some kind of return on investment metric, if, if that's your searching point, it's probably the wrong place to start. I think we need to go back to the kind of 
why the reasons and, and the whys for why we're doing this, which is lots of bad systemic stuff needs resolving. So I, I think if we're looking for you know dollars and cents or pounds and pence in, in terms of a, a metric, please don't start there. I, I think in terms of the benefits, and we, we've touched on some of this already, but I think the lack of groupthink and the ability to see things and perceive things from lots of different lenses. It's been, again, in terms of that um, blossoming that I used earlier, sitting in sessions now with members of our team, particularly where we're solving problems, particularly when we're working on design challenges, it is amazing to see the number of different perspectives that now emerge because of the different people, different backgrounds and everything else that we have in the room. I'm not sure that necessarily translates to something that you could put on your marketing collateral as we're going to come up with the best ideas. But I do think when people kind of engage with the team, they get a real sense of that kind of culture. And it's always amazing to get feedback from clients. So I think it's probably looking at it as after the fact in terms of how people engage. And then you're getting that feedback to go, actually working with this team was different. We really enjoyed this. Like we did enjoy the different perspectives and focus. We could see ourselves within it. They're probably the outcomes that you want to be focused on, I think. Connecting this with financial metrics is, yeah, I'd probably check that out the door. I totally agree with that, Mike. I think the question would be like, why would you want to stay stagnant? Like, do you want to be part of the world that's already changing around you? Like, hi, I would like to be part of 2021 and 2022 and beyond. So essentially, like, it's just asking, like, do you want to still stay archaic? And, you know, why not talk to people or engage with businesses that reflect the world we actually live in rather than the world we probably curate ourselves? Like, at the end of the day, the reverse question is probably a lot more helpful to understand. Like, do you want to work with the person who definitely is like, no, I like homogenous groups. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Nice. Yeah. When I talk about ROI, I talk about the financial metric ROI return on investment, and then bring a relevance lens to it. And that's the risk of ignoring. You'll get left behind. You won't be relevant anymore. So if you need to speak the language of finance, go for it. And then you also need to layer the additional languages that matter as well on top. So any, so we have final minute warning. Anybody want to share anything before we say thank you to everyone for participating and listening? I would just say thank you to everyone. This has been, I've made so many notes through this call um, and already pinged some people about getting stats on our website because I think it's just a great idea. Yeah, the same. Sorry, Mike, I've let you be making so many notes. So thank you so much as well. Same. Thank you so much for introducing me further into an industry I've only been in proximity to more. So like, so now I can actually have more to talk about at dinner, but also just understanding that your industry is very similar to all of ours. Like we're all in this together and the more we create community, the better outcome we're going to have. We can facilitate dialogue and learn from each other. That's the most important thing. Thank you all for sharing your ideas, your expertise, and your guidance. Really appreciate it. This is how we make progress and move things forward. Thank you again to James and the Nexus community for providing the space for this conversation. And with that, we're done. 
All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day. Thank you.